This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. Scott Radley sitting in for Rick Zamprin this morning. Here's what's coming up on the podcast. We're going to be talking to Ethan Page, who's a wrestler with AEW, who's going to be wrestling in Hamilton this week. Why are we talking to him? He is from Hamilton, and this has been the dream since he was a boy. We'll get to that story. Uh, Meta has announced that it is going to be shutting down access to news on Facebook and Instagram. We'll get into what that means for you. Chilliwack, the guys behind the Canadian band Chilliwack, Gone, 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 you know that one? Uh, they are going to be inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame today. Uh, Bill Henderson from Chilliwack will join us to talk about that. Ketone supplements, which some people are taking to help their athletic performance, uh, will give you a little bit of news that may be of interest to you if you're doing that. Cool Stuff Toys, local toy store, well-known. It's going to be closing down. We'll tell you why. And the Hamilton Ticats. Uh, we'll get into that too. Stay with us. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. This week, if you head down to First Ontario Centre on Wednesday evening, you will have a chance to see not just AEW wrestling, which I believe is making its first trip to Hamilton, although my next guest can confirm whether that's true or not. But I'm pretty sure it's his first trip. Not to Hamilton. He's from this place, but here to wrestle. His name is Ethan Page. Joins me now. Ethan, how are you? Very good. And I can confirm it is AEW's first time ever going to Hamilton. And it's so nice that we're going to do it twice. We are there on Wednesday, but we also are running a huge event on Thursday. There you go. The first Ontario Center. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to probably refer to this place as Cops Coliseum going forward. I hope you're okay with that. Uh, well, okay. So for people who don't know this and you can fill in the details, uh, Ethan page is his ring name, his stage name. Uh, those who grew up with him might know him better as Julian Machevsky. That was his name at salt fleet high school. And when he was coming up and he has now made the big time, but this has always tell me if I'm wrong here, but this has always been the dream, right? It's always been the dream to wrestle at cops Coliseum. Yeah. hundred percent. It's, uh, it's the dream venue. It's the dream scenario. Um, it, there's so much history in this building as far as professional wrestling goes, not just for me personally, but just in the wrestling world, the first ever Royal rumble yep. that was won, won by hacksaw Jim Duggan was in, <laughs> was in this venue. Uh, the Hardy boys, they signed their, um, WWF contracts and technically their first ever appearance under contract was actually in cops Coliseum. So this is like very historic. It's a historic building. And for me, I've been there so many times to watch others perform. And now the same Hamiltonians are going to be filling the place up to watch me perform. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually getting emotional talking to you about it. It's, it's going to be huge. I am relieved, though, Ethan, that um, because I thought I was the only one whose brain had that fact in it, that knowledge that Hacksaw Jim Duggan had won the first Royal Rumble. I thought I was <laughs> alone in knowing that. So I'm I'm delighted that there's someone else who knows that to confirm that for me. But yeah, oh, this is this, this is though for anybody. I mean, we've had um, Hamilton players, Arbor Jackeye, for example, a guy who grew up, you know, in the north end of Hamilton, won a or not a Memorial Cup, won an Ontario Hockey Championship with the Bulldogs. He got to play at home. I mean, for any athlete, it's kind of a cool thing when you get to perform in front of your home fans for the first time, especially. Yeah, and like like I know that small fact about Hacksaw because I've been obsessed with being from Hamilton, it used to bother me because I would travel all over North America trying to make a name for myself and people would announce me from Toronto and it would piss me off. 
because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Torontonian. I'm from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and I have made sure my entire career to be announced from Hamilton, proudly waving the Hamilton flag all over the world, uh, across the globe. And Hamilton, sh- Hamilton, Hamilton. And Ethan, that shouldn't be that difficult for wrestling fans because there is a long history in this city. Iron Mike Sharp or Dewey Robertson, the missing link or Billy Red Lions or uh, I mean, go on and on. Who am I forgetting? There's like there's uh, well, um, uh, Angelo Mosca, King Kong Mosca, uh, essentially from here. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great wrestlers that have come out of this place. Yeah. And to, honestly, to finally see my name being attached to such legends like this and to make it to a certain point in my career that um, I'll be somebody brought up synonymously with the city that pretty much made me who I am is incredible. And I'm so happy that I get to perform in Hamilton at this stage of my career instead of uh, maybe an earlier stage or when I might not have been ready for the pressure that I know I'm going to feel on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, I just think it's a perfect storm and it was a very long time to get here and a long road to get here and a hard one, but I think every step was worth it. I was going to ask you about the pressure. I mean, it, it, do you feel that when you come into a big show like this, that that everything has to be exactly perfect or, or is there enough, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Looseness is not the right word, but that, that, you know, we, we can let her rip and just see what happens. Is there a lot to make sure it's exactly right? Uh, I mean, there is the perfectionist side to me, but then there's also the side that I'm just going to feel it all because I know for a fact that the Hamiltonians are going to have my back. And I, I like, I, I know the energy is going to be there, so I'm just going to kind of ride the wave and it, try and enjoy it as much as possible, which is pretty hard when it's a packed arena, kind of just screaming at you to live in the moment, but I'm going to do my best to try. Tell people, take a, a minute or two here, because again, we've mentioned that you're from here. You've mentioned you're from here. Your start in wrestling actually began in, in maybe the most inauspicious place. You really got your start in a local park. Yeah. I, yeah. I used to backyard wrestle at Paramount Park uh, in like the Stony Creek area, Hamilton area. And from there, I wrestled in a garage that was they called it unit 13 off Mebo road. So it's like, I, I very much so grassroots Hamilton, Ontario. And from there traveled as far and wide as I could to make my name known. And even so much. So I started my own wrestling promotion in Hamilton called alpha one wrestling. And I would host my own events pretty much monthly for over 10 years, bringing in the best American wrestlers to Canada, just so that we could get as many people watching the Canadian talents as humanly possible. When you've been wrestling in those venues and just like, as I say, in a park, jumping onto old mattresses and stuff, it's going to take, I'm sure the body hurts a little bit. You've now been at this with AEW for two years, two and a half years. How is the body when you are in the grind? I mean, is it, is it tough to do every day to get up and get moving or do you still feel pretty good? Yeah, it's uh, physically tough. And, and and honestly, although the people that I'm in the ring with are more professional because we literally have the best wrestlers in the world at AEW, I would say the pressure is a lot higher um, and the physicality is a lot higher. The intensity is a lot higher and there's more on the line. So when you're having these matches, 
they might come every two, three weeks, but uh, they're a lot harder, more grueling, and there's a lot more people watching. So you're willing to kind of risk it a little bit more and, and take those chances to be remembered. There have been a couple matches, uh, one in particular that got all kinds of attention online in AEW that have been really extreme. It was there was, there was one. It was a women's match that uh, a lot of people saw. Any any desire to get into that stuff where it's like really upping the ante, or or are you good with like no? Let's just, let's just be a great wrestler. We don't have to have thumbtacks and all the rest stuck into me. <laughs> uh, I'm all about whatever is necessary. And wow, okay, yeah. If we get to a point where that is what's needed, then, I mean, I, I'm there for AEW. I want to see my career continue to go on the rise, and I want to start winning championships. So if that's what it's going to take, then, yeah. You're a better man than I am. I'll tell you that one. You, you bring out the thumbtacks. <laughs> I am long gone. I'll tell you that. Uh, just before <laughs> we let you go here, I have to point out, it's not just the shows Wednesday and Thursday. Tuesday night at Bounty Hunter Toys, which is on Kenilworth Avenue North, not far, right, from where you not that far from where you grew up. Uh, there is a toy drive as well. Yeah. So people could meet you and get an autograph and get a picture, whatever, if they bring a toy, correct? Yeah, it's uh, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And not only will I be there, I'm bringing a lot of my friends from AEW as well. Uh, and we're going to do a nice group photo for everyone and try and raise a bunch of uh, toys to be able to hand out to some kids that need it. And uh, it's in line with what I enjoy. This is literally my childhood toy store uh it's moved locations really since where i where i used to shop but it is the exact toy store that got me really into liking wrestling figures and collecting toys and now i wanted to give back to the man that sold me toys when i was a kid and give him and his store a special event while also offering something up that's uh affordable for hamilton all you have to do is bring a boxed toy I, I would love it if you guys brought wrestling toys, AEW toys specifically would be fantastic. But anyone that watches my YouTube channel knows I love collecting Batman and Spider-Man and Ninja Turtles. So bring some toys for some kids, guys. I'll be there with all my pals. We'll take some pictures and we'll have a great time. It is. Uh, and I bet there'll be some people coming out who knew you as Julian, not even as Ethan, who will be saying hi. But uh, it is uh, it's a great so. thing. Uh, all this week, basically. Tuesday for the Toy Drive, Wednesday, Thursday for the shows. Ethan Page, really appreciate you doing this. Thanks. Of course. Anything for Hamilton, for real. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You have probably heard something about Meta in the last few days and something about Bill C-18 and something about a end to news sharing on platforms like Facebook and Instagram. The, uh, the company, that's Meta is Facebook and Instagram's parent company, has said it's going to stop sh news sharing on these programs as a result of this federal rule. I want to bring in Carmi Levy. He is a uh, technology analyst. He's a journalist. We love it when Carmi joins us to talk about this. Carmi, how are you this morning? I am great, Scott. Wonderful to be here with you. Really appreciate this because uh, let, let well let's let's start with the very basics here for the for the people who maybe have heard about this but haven't really kept up. But now that it's real, all of a sudden it's like okay, let me find out what this is about. Bill C eighteen is supposed to do what? It is supposed to level the playing field and allow Canadian media to get paid for content that is shared. Their content that is shared across social media. 
the problem up until now has been is that, uh, you know, Facebook and Google and Twitter and all the other social media and web companies in the world, they've been getting a free ride for the better part of the last 20 or so years. They get to share uh, a news story, a newspaper story, a radio report, video from a TV newscast on their platforms. And then they turn around and they sell advertising against that. And they take all the money and none of that money goes back to the the, the journalists who created the, the media companies that paid for all of this. And that what would have deal. been and that would have potentially been advertising that once upon a time in a different world would have gone to those media companies. Exactly. Before there was an Internet, all of the advertising pie belonged to those media companies. And then as the Internet gradually took over and we moved our lives into the digital space, all those ads kind of shifted away from traditional media toward big tech companies that own the platforms. Uh, and so, you know, of course, if you're a Google or if you're a Meta, you're very happy. All that money is coming to you. But it's not really sustainable because it essentially means someone else pays for it. You benefit from it. And that someone else at some point is going to suffer. And that's what we're seeing now. That's why we're seeing layoffs across the media space. The advertising revenues are crumbling on that side of the business and the landscape is tilted against them. So this Bill C-18, the Online News Act, the intention is, is to make it more fair, make the tech companies pay the companies that create the media content for that content so that everybody wins. Companies get paid to create it. And then, of course, you and I, uh, when we go onto these platforms, we continue to get to consume it. Uh, and everyone, in theory, is happy. But apparently Meta is not very happy that they're going to have to pay the piper. Okay. So what does this actually mean in re real terms? Because just, just before we came on, and I think p people may do this, I went on to the Hamilton Spectator Facebook page, and you can still link to anything there, the Toronto Star Facebook page, all of them. So it's not that links are being disconnected or blocked. It's something else altogether. Exactly. So the good news is, is nothing changes for now. Right now, the the Online News Act last week, the Senate voted it into law. So it is, in fact, now the law of the land, but it isn't being enacted or enforced yet. That'll take about six months for the for the rules, the regulations to be kind of worked out. There's always that process of, of, of getting the wheels in motion. So that's where we're at now. And so Meta has essentially said nothing changes until uh, the, the law becomes enacted. And so that will take some time. But when it does, so right now, if you go into your Facebook feed, everything is there. You can still see news stories showing up in your feed. You can still go to the, the Facebook homepage of the media outlet and see things and they're being shared. When this does take effect, uh, essentially what will happen is, is that that content, that media content will no longer be visible in your feed. So you won't be able to, you know, follow a link home to a radio report or a newspaper article from your feed. Um, you know, media organizations will still be allowed to have their own presences on these platforms. Um, so, you know, the, fa the Facebook page for the Hamilton Spectator will still be there. Facebook page for this radio station will still be there. And, you, and, and whoever runs it will still be able to, if they want to, post links in various places. The problem here is, is the algorithm is going to be dialed down to the point that it probably won't find an audience. So you, you and I will be able to share whatever If we you want go look well. for it specifically, you will be able to find it, but it won't necessarily it, pop up in front of your eyes. 
Exactly. And that's what the algorithm does is, you know, you can share anything you want, but it's the algorithm that, that decides whether it finds an audience and goes viral or whether it basically dies and no one ever sees it, it just gathers dust. And Carmi, so that's essentially what will happen. Media content will be deprioritized. Carmi, here's where this, because so I, I know there are probably some people listening going, well, look, it's my, not my issue whether media companies get paid or not. So frankly, I don't care. And I, that's fine. I, I mean, look, we all are in different businesses. We don't have the same concerns. The concern that I have about this beyond whether people care that media companies get paid is if those stories that are actually made by reputable media companies are taken off the feed, the news, and I'm doing air quotes, that people are going to see on Facebook are the news items that are really questionable and oftentimes and that are the conspiracy theories or the whatever. Your view of what is real news, if you eliminate the stuff that's established, Mm -hmm. boy, you're going to be getting a really weird view of the news. That is exactly it, Scott. It doesn't matter what business we're in. We all, as Canadians, have an interest in ensuring that misinformation, disinformation, racism, xenophobia, conspiracy theories, all that sort of you know dark content uh, doesn't take hold on social media. It doesn't take hold in the digital space. And the, the more you compromise traditional media, the more you hinder their ability to do what they do to shed light on the darkness, which is essentially what media does. And I, again, I'm, a, I'm also a regular, I'm a journalist. Uh, then uh, the easier it becomes for this kind of content to take over. Do you want to live in an Elon Musk-led dystopian world uh, of misinformation and disinformation? Well, cut off media's access to these platforms and see what happens. And that's essentially the direction we're heading in. Uh, is that truth takes a serious hit when traditional media do not get paid by digital media for uh, the work that they do. And we all, as Canadians living in a vibrant democracy, we all have an interest we in all, for that sure. continues. For sure. Carmi Levy, a technology analyst and journalist. Wish we had more time, Carmi, but really appreciate you jumping on this morning. Thanks for doing this. So great being here, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is going to be a new inductee into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. His name is Bill Henderson. Uh, Although you may know him better by the music that he played when he was, especially with Chilliwack, Gone, 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 My Girl, and What You're Gonna Do, and oh, so many other ones. Uh, He joins me now. Bill, how are you today? Congratulations. I'm good. Thank you very much, man. I um many years ago I was driving through Chilliwack in BC and I was listening to a radio station called in and said I got to hear some Chilliwack while I'm driving in Chilliwack and they said no way and I got the idea later they have probably had that request 12 trillion times and finally said we can't just do Chilliwack anymore. <laughs> that might have happened. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's bizarre. What was it a uh, what what um Type of music did they play? Oh, I can't even remember at this point. It was a long time ago. They had said their number for a call in, and uh, but yeah. we'll have to work on it. But we'll do it here instead. Uh, listen yeah. again. Congratulations going into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. This is richly deserved because I I got to tell you, you, people when there are certain songs that people have written that everybody knows, and I got to is there anybody in this country that doesn't know my girl and sings along with it every time it comes on? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty well known tune. All right, I tell you, the most one of the coolest things that happened was when that song was out and it was really being played a lot. It was in the summertime. It was a beautiful day, and I was driving, and there was construction, and there was a, a flag girl 
with the with a little radio hanging off the door of her trailer, and and she's bopping around the street. And as I got gradually closer, I saw I heard that she was she was dancing to uh, my girl, gone gone gone. It was just a, it was kind of a thrill. I like that. Is it? I, I've often wondered this, and I've asked a few musicians over the years. Explain to me what the sense is or what the feeling is when you're on stage singing a song that you've created and everybody in the audience is singing that song back at you. What's that like? Well, um, I mean, for me, I, I, I wrote the song Reno and there's a couple of lines in it. There's no audience or no show. And if you listen to Fly at Night, it's all about the audience and our relationship and how we get high on music together. So I mean that tells the story. That that's that's you know uh, the probably the most important thing to me is that relationship with the audience. I mean I love music and I've loved it all my life and it's been a it's been a refuge for me as well as a, a creating a lot of excitement, but it's also brought me this relationship with all these people and and uh it's a lovely thing. Does that and I'm I'm guessing here that I probably already know my answer, but does that mean that the songs that people don't know as well, that you don't have that much of that same relationship, don't mean as much to you, or is it just different? Oh no, it doesn't mean, mean they don't they don't mean as much to me because for me the music is one thing, and the relationship with the people is another. So I mean I listened to a, a song I wrote you know years ago called Beautiful Soup. And it was it was from Alice in Wonderland, and I love that little song, and, and uh, I I really love it. Nobody knows it. It was in a theater production because I wrote for theater and I did all kinds of different wrote lots of different things. Um, so so those are separate things. I still I love my my songs. There is a few that I'm not so happy with, but mostly I really like them. And uh, um, and so if the people don't know them. You know, that's not a big problem to me, man. I had to work with that for so many years. I mean, it's been 50 years just with Chilliwack, and I was with the collectors before that, and I had to face up to the fact that when I knew I had a great song and we'd done a great recording and nobody played it, I had to live with that. I had to go, okay, on to the next one. That's the that's the music industry for, for a songwriter, for a performer. That's what it is. You can't tell people what to like you know? yeah yeah but you you just mentioned your longevity and i mean you have been doing this for a long time and doing it really well for a long time anything that anybody does for that long at some point you're probably going to say man I, I could just do without ever having to do that again and i don't know if you ever think that with any of your songs but then again when you get that crowd reaction if there's ever a moment when you're like i could i'd be happy to do a concert without doing my girl for once because i've heard that song 12 million times now I got to believe that that energy that comes back, you go, no, no, all good. Let's go. Yeah, it is like that. And, you know, it's also got to do with age. Because, like, I remember Lonesome Mary, when we came up with Lonesome Mary, and Lonesome Mary was in 1970, what was that? Well, I think it was 1970, 71. Um, you know, I could only play that song for about six months. And then it was like, I couldn't play it anymore. You know, I just was, it was too much. But that's a young person, uh, you know, Busting for the next thing, just busting to get bigger, better, all all of that. I'm not. I haven't been in that place for you know a couple of decades, and so my my point of view is a little bit more of a Zen point of view. It's like uh, you know, I just I just relax and enjoy it. I don't You're have a problem with any of those songs. 
<laughs> You're going into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame, which uh, speaks to how great you are at doing this. Are you are you a grinder? Do you have to sit there and work and work and work and work at coming up with it? Or are you one of those guys that it, you sit down and it just kind of flows out of you? Yeah, those are my favorite. Um, I do, you know, uh, Lonesome Mary was one. Uh, uh, Baby Blue was another. Uh, Crazy Talk was another one. Uh, they those ones just came in the time it takes to play them. I just sat down, really, playing, and there they were: lyrics, melody, chords, the works, right? And um, those are gifts. But you know, I play every day, and those don't happen every day. Yeah. Did you ever watch, Bill? Did you ever watch the movie that that series Get Back about the Beatles that that came out a year or so ago? I have not seen it yet. No. Okay, because there's a clip in there where Paul McCartney is just sitting playing before a session and out of nothing you watch get back emerge yeah. from thin air you may have seen that clip if nothing else and i'm wondering if that's what you're talking about is that kind of the method that all of a sudden it's just there yeah there's two things there's there's craft and there's there's the muse and and paul has them both in great quantities and you know you do need to have your craft you do need to be able to it helps you make decisions about about things that come up, ideas that come up, and 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 all of that. But you need to be open to. Uh, you got to keep your mind, your your brain, your cerebral cortex in the right place. You don't let it run the show. You ask it sometimes for help. You know, but but something has to come to you. To me, it's like there's no point in me just sort of sitting down and just busting away at it. I mean, I have to have something has to move me. And and I have, you know, there's exercises that you can do, a songwriter can do that will stimulate um that kind of thing. And I I I know one of them and I it's been very useful to me. Um, but you gotta have, you know, the muse is part of it. It's gotta be. Uh just before we let you go, because we gotta let you run here. What is the song? You mentioned maybe one, but what is the song that in your mind should have been way bigger than it was that you wrote? So we can all go back now and take a second listen to it and maybe appreciate it for what we didn't hear the first time. What would be that song? Oh, man. <laughs> Good question. Um, now let me think. Oh, just a sec. Um, well, Communication Breakdown would would be one. That was an album that got, it, it was on an album that got ignored. It was an album called Breakdown in Paradise. It was the first one that Brian McLeod and I did together, uh, that the, where we were running the show. The two of us produced it, and and uh, um, it's an incredible sounding album. I have A and B that album with uh, you know on vinyl with with famous albums that I love, records I love, and it sounds better. We will we will go and listen to that one again. Communication breakdown. That's our homework assignment right now to uh, to re-listen because we all know gone, gone, gone. But uh, there's another one. Yeah. Uh, Bill Henderson, congratulations on the induction. Thank you so much for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, my man. Have a good time. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So many of you out there exercise. That's really good news. Some of you exercise with a purpose, as in to be competitive athletes. That's great, too. And some of you, as a result of that, have heard or believe that you should use ketone supplements because those are going to help you to get ahead. Well, a new study from a kinesiologist at McMaster University has raised some questions about that. I want to bring in Martin Gabala, who's a professor of kinesiology at McMaster. Uh, he's also the Faculty of Science Research Chair in Integrative Exercise. Exercise Physiology. Martin, thanks for doing this today. 
Good morning, Scott. Uh, so this is this is a really interesting one because um, we all are looking. Anytime anyone who's doing any kind of serious competitive stuff, I, and when I say we, I should probably <laughs> change that from we, I, unless radio is competitive. I'm I'm not involved in that, but looking for something that's going to help them, looking for something that they read about that hey, this is going to make me better. This is one of those things as I've been reading around that a lot of people have been pointing at these supplements, saying these will really help you. Why? What's the theory behind it? So the theory behind it is these ketones can either serve as an alternative fuel. So our main fuels that we use during exercise are carbohydrates and fats. So ketones could potentially be an alternate fuel or it might change how we use some other fuels. Uh, You know, it might increase your ability to burn fat or spare or conserve precious carbohydrate or glycogen. You know, all of those are important for athletes. And it's really the ideal mix or ratio that athletes are really trying to capitalize on a given sport or event. Okay. uh, Let me ask the dumbest question of the morning. I guarantee it will be. But um, the keto in ketone, is that the same as the keto diet? It's, it's very similar. So the idea with a ketogenic diet is that you restrict carbohydrate, often through fasting or by eating a very high-fat diet, and that in turn stimulates the body to increase the production of ketones, maybe, in, maybe mainly in the liver. The idea with ketone supplements is that you can very acutely or quickly get that boost in ketone levels without the restrictive diet and without some of the other changes in hormones and other things that those restrictive diets create. So it's basically a shortcut to get the rapid elevation in blood ketones that we often see with a prolonged ketogenic diet. Okay, now why would, again, the theory, why would ketones improve your performance in sports? And so again, it goes back to those broad mechanisms that I mentioned at the beginning and they're There was a really seminal paper that came out about seven or eight years ago now that suggested ketone supplements could spare muscle glycogen. And there were some suggestions that athletes went faster when they did this. And then over the years, there's been, like everything in science, some conflicting research. What we wanted to do is really design a very simple study to ask a very simple question. And that's that when we recruited highly trained athletes, had them come into the laboratory and prepare as they would for a normal race. So whatever they wanted to do, however they normally prepared, they did that. And then all we did was manipulate the pre-exercise drink. And it was what we call a randomized double-blind study. We didn't know what the athletes were getting, nor did they know what they were receiving. And then we basically stood back and said, race this 20-minute time trial as fast as you can. And not only did we see no benefit, there was actually a clear worsening of performance on the athletes who were taking, or in the condition when the athletes were were taking the ketones. They all did two trials, so they were all compared against themselves. And in those trials, did the same athlete either take the ketone the same both times or not? Or like, was there was there some that took it one time but not another and you could see a difference? Or how did that work? Yeah, so what we call, it's called a crossover trial. So all the athletes perform both conditions. So one time they performed the trial with ketones, and the other time they performed it on a placebo drink that tasted very similar, very bitter, uh, like the ketones. So both athletes do two trials, and the nice thing with that design is they're they're compared against themselves. So relative to their performance on the other trial, how did they do? And overall, there was a 2% reduction 
in their performance. That might not sound like a lot, but you know, when you consider the the small margins of difference in many races, uh, you know, no athlete is looking for a decline in performance. Clearly, well, not just that, but they're anticipating that it's going to be better. So that you're going down by two instead of up by whatever amount that you were hoping you would have. So, exactly. And so this fit with sort of some of our other research, because previously we'd seen that when athletes take very high doses of ketones during exercise, exercise, their heart rates are higher or their breathing rate is higher. You know, neither of those things are necessarily good for an athlete. They'd like to be more efficient, have a lower heart rate, ideally, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, a lower uh, breathing rate during exercise at a given pace. That's how we normally assess that someone is doing better. But again, in this one, we just clearly wanted to assess performance. And it was very clearly worse. I'm short on time, but really quickly, would this be, would the example that you've done or the testing you've done, you've said you've done it on highly tuned athletes. If it was Joe Schmo who was just deciding to get into exercise, might the result be different? Might this work to their advantage because they're not already at a highly performing level? Yeah, I'd suggest no. The reason we chose highly trained athletes is they're quite reproducible in their performance, but we've done other research as well in less trained individuals and we're seeing very similar trends. So I think the short answer right now is whether you're a recreational athlete looking for a boost or whether you're a highly trained individual, not good evidence to suggest that ketones will benefit performance. There may be some benefits for recovery, and there's a lot of interesting work going on in that area. Martin Gabala, professor of kinesiology at McMaster. It's a fascinating study. Really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Thanks for your time today. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We always are hoping for business to build up in the downtown, build up all around the city. We're always hoping for more places to open and do really well. Well, now we're going to be talking about a place that's facing a closing. Um, It's a tough one. I want to bring in Jeff Smith, who's the owner of Cool Stuff Toys uh, downtown. Jeff, how are you today? Hey, good morning, Scott. Um, pretty busy packing up the place. Well, yeah. What's So this is a place that's been around. I mean, a lot of people are going to know about this place. been around for a long, long time. What's going on? Well, we've been in business for 25 years. Uh, 17 have been at this location of 847 uh, King Street East. Our building was bought two years ago, and uh, they've been developing it around us. And, uh, you know, just can't wait to get us out of here. Uh, but we just got a notice uh, two weeks ago, giving us three weeks uh, notice that it was July the 1st, our rent of eleven eighty six fifty a month is going up to $2,500 a month. So we would try to keep our prices down and try to get make things affordable for people. But, you know, that that's with just the high cost of rent. Uh, you know, people are coming in from outside of the city, buying up properties, turning everything into residential because they're worth two to three times more than uh, what commercial used to be. It used to be the other way around. Yeah. So it's just difficult to find places that are affordable and, you know, someone's going to, not pull the rug out from under your feet if you move somewhere else at this point. How, um, you know, this seems like the timing of this is also rough because I'm guessing like everyone else, it, you just went through COVID like everyone else with your right. with your store. How hard was that as a small business owner? We always hear these stories. How difficult was have the last three or four years been? Well, you know, it was pretty trying, but, you know, the only thing I can say with COVID, there was more certainty with them than with these uh, owners of the building. There's no communication uh, we had a committee of adjustment meeting back in January 20th of last year. Uh, the meeting actually got pulled before it happened, so I thought I lost the case. Um, but thankfully, I had about 25 people uh, waiting virtually online to voice their comments and concerns, so I think that held them off. I, knew, I think they knew there was some pushback. Uh, they've tried to rezone the place. There's a minor variance they have to get passed. Uh, so I think right now they've tried plan A, B, C, and D, and now they're on like plan L. Mm. 
Well, I think it's just, you know, they've offered people upstairs money to move out, but down here they've just offered uh, ourselves and the other businesses um, increases in rents with uh, three weeks' notice. And one of the real, and again, the, the challenges I would think that you've probably had in the last number of years, and we've heard this from a number of places, small businesses, independent businesses, is, you know, for a while there when people couldn't get out and shop, they be it became a habit to buy stuff online. That 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 has to be difficult when you're a storefront and you're trying to bring people in because you want people to be shopping in your store rather than a huge company like Amazon or whatever else that can that can do it a lot easier. Right, and yeah, and getting back to COVID too, we yeah, we experienced uh, you know <clears throat> limited uh, limited number of people who come in here, and uh, yeah, we don't do a lot of online presence. We do uh, Facebook uh, Marketplace and Kijiji, and I used to do eBay. But no, it is. It is a lot of competition. I I know the you know former uh, mayor there. He was pushing everyone to do online stuff. But I think that also opened up a lot of commercial spaces that are now being turned into residential. So I'm not sure if that was part of the bigger plan. Uh, you know, get people more used to to doing that and get away from the smaller businesses. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's been 25 years, Scott, and it's been wonderful. I've had wonderful support from uh, family, lots of friends, customers. So. Yeah, they're still showing their support now and trying to figure out what they're going to do with their weekends now when they mm. can't come down here. What do you do now? I mean, you've got, you must have a bunch of stock and a bunch of other things. What do you do with it all? Oh, we do. You know, a, a friend, Doug, he's been tremendous. Uh, he's helping us get boxes every day. And, uh, yeah, we're at the, the last five days. So we're getting people coming in, picking up stuff uh, while they can. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Consignment stuff through. Uh, people are coming to get that. And, again, just clearing house and trying to get it all uh, out of here. Try not to take up too much of my parents' garage. Yeah, well, and one of the things you're even selling, and look, we're not celebrating the fact that this is for sale because it means you're closing, which is not good, but I understand you're even selling your front sign if someone wants that. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, uh, the neon sign was made uh, by Jones Neon in Burlington. Uh, they're world famous for their quality. and Yeah, so that's, uh, that's up for 2500 and uh, I, I don't know that we have room for it at our house, so, you know, as good as that would look on the wall, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, just everything's got to go, kind of thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, and look, as much as you love your store, I don't know that uh, that you want to be having the zzz, zzz, the neon sign going in your bedroom. No, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the light and the buzzing sound light. might keep you awake at night. Uh, yeah, no, I think so. It'd be like the. Like Kramer, exactly. I was just thinking that the Kenny Rogers chicken in Kramer, or <laughs> or the uh, the beer sign in the office when they had the yeah. dinner party in uh, Michael Scott's house. But uh, yeah, you know, exactly. somebody might like that, and, and you yeah. know, put the sign up in front of your house. See see if they want to have people drop in and think it's a toy store in their house. Yeah. Listen, yeah. it's it's an un, it's an unfortunate story for sure, Jeff. Oh, and we, really? um, yeah, no, you know, and, and like I said, I've been pretty blessed to have uh, all the support that we've had. So you know, people have been wonderful to us. It is, uh, it, people, if they want to go down and uh, help out and buy something and help Jeff and, uh, you know, get something before the store closes once again. It's cool stuff, toys. A lot of people have been there over the years on uh, King Street, King and Gibson. Um, closing on June the 30th, right? So just a few days That's from right. now. Yeah, just uh, five more days to go. Jeff, really appreciate you taking a few minutes. Thanks for doing yeah, this. No, thanks so much, Scott. I appreciate it. Okay, take care and stay well. You as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, let me bring in Steve Milton, columnist with the Hamilton Spectator. Um, uh, uh, Steve, what was that on Friday? <laughs> it was a mess. <laughs> I, it was something. It was absolutely a mess. I mean, you, you thought they might be turning it around a little bit, uh, but... You can never really know until they get into, into the end zone. You know, they start with two really good drives. 
you know, operating without their number one quarterback for it looks like what's going to be a serious length of time. Um, two great drives, uh, did something they haven't done before really much this year, which is find Tim White deep and found him well deep. And two, two drives in a row, big plays to Tim White. And so a couple of great possession uh, uh, receptions um, from Duke Williams, who's really starting to show uh, why they went and got him. And they come up with six points. And, you know, it's six points that they haven't had in previous games on drives at times, but it, it, you could feel there was a palpable disappointment in the stadium at the time, thinking this team's going to regret mm-hmm. not scoring some touchdowns here. And that's exactly what happened. It didn't take long, uh, you know, interception return for a touchdown, I think, or at a punt return for a touchdown, I should say, and, and boom, uh, that's it. That's all she wrote. And I think this team's uh, led this year something like they played 180 minutes of football, and I think they've led for about, uh, what, 13 minutes? They've held a lead. So let me ask you this question. I, I, I was asking someone last week, we were on the air, and I, I can't remember who yeah. it was I was talking to, maybe Rick, I, I can't remember. And it's one of the truly baffling questions of our time. I'll, I'll, maybe you've got a theory because no one else seems to have one. From over the last 16 or 17 years, there is not one guy who is in black and gold who was in black and gold back then. This is a long stretch now. It's all different players. And every single year, just about, they are terrible coming out of the gates. What Absolutely. What is the theory for that? What's the reason why this, not this team, this franchise consistently starts so badly? Well, there's a lot of talk about process, you know, which isn't one of my favorite words. But uh, it's, it's prevalent in sports, and, and it's very important in football because it's such a practice game, Scott. I mean, you don't really, especially in the first half, you don't really vary from what you practice all week. I mean, you practice and you think that you've seen something, and then maybe just make some adjustments at halftime. We all know that wasn't a really big strength of that team last year, adjusting at halftime. <clears throat> this year, it's the first half. They don't seem to be ready. I think part of it is because they, they, they tend to build in increments over time, you know, and, and expect that, you know, they'll maybe win a game or two in there and they're not all too worried about that. Remember too, they're also breaking in half of the 24 uh, starters did not start last year in the last game last year. So they, you know, there, there's a fair amount of break in there, but I'm not going to give them that excuse because other teams are doing the same thing. I mean, Montreal was without three of their, I mean, startlingly good receivers in this game and still were able to put up enough to, uh, to beat the Tiger Cats. Um, I, I, I honestly, if I knew, I'd probably quit what we're doing here and, and just advise <laughs> the Tiger Cats, and, and I, I'm sure they'd pay me a lot if I had, had the answer. Um, uh, part of it is that. I think part of it is they, they do believe in themselves, and that's a funny thing because it, how, do, how do you believe in yourselves and then keep coming up always 0-2? I mean, the, the, Always. the number of enough times they've been 0-2, and, and this is, what, eight times for 0-3 in this century, I think. And, and uh, um, you know, they made the playoffs last year going 0-3. But part of that is, oh, yes, we can say they finished 5-1, and one, and that was what they had to do in the final third of the season. But if Saskatchewan doesn't cack last year, this team isn't in the playoffs, even winning 5-6 five, five of six to, to finish the season. So you can't count on that. Um well, here, so Steve, let me jump in because now, and we, we're short on time, unfortunately, but so next, so they've got a bye week this week, yeah. then it's Ottawa, which 
so far stinks, and then Edmonton, which so far really stinks. Got to win those two, don't those, you? Uh, that's what I was going to say. If you don't win, well, you got to win one at least, but probably both, or else there's a lot of questions, aren't there? You got to win the Ottawa team for sure, and it depends how you do or don't win, right? I mean, do you fluke it out? Is it because I mean, Ottawa, I think, is a little better than they look. Unfortunately, they're struggling with the same thing: self identity. Or they need some wins. If they ever get some wins, they might be okay. And the quarterback. I think uh, I think Jeremiah will be back throwing in that game, right? I think Jeremiah will be here for that game. And, uh, you know, I think they'll come around. Hamilton uh, is starting to get some. But they are really hurt at some key positions, Scott, in, in, in the, in, in the, on the two lines. But they should be good enough. They're, they're getting dominated in the trenches. I expected that in this last game on the offense because, you know, three tackles, three, their numbers one, two, and three tackles were down. You know, I mean that's a very key position when you're trying to protect a quarterback. They, uh, they, they, uh, the starting right guard was down. Uh, there's a no total inexperience except basically mm-hmm. at on this team together, uh, Revenberg, and it takes you know offenses. So I expected something there, uh, but I didn't expect the defense to continually be this bad. What like, what's with this team in the tackling? There's a Steve. Uh, we got other yeah. things. We got to run, but yes, that that is absolutely. I think you had a great line uh, in your column today that was they were tackling as if there was a prize for not tackling. I mean, it yeah, was it's that's uh, what it looked like. Yeah. I hate to be so cruel, but how do you not be cruel? It is here's the other thing, and the, and the way I ended it, and we'll just end this. There was some booing during that game, but not as much as I expected. There was some booing when the, when there was it was the punt return, I think, or the interception yep. return for a touchdown. There was some booing when they announced that the ring was going to cancel the drone. And there was a couple of other bit, bits of booing, but it wasn't that intense. And but hardly anybody was there. And yeah. that's the worst thing you can have. Apathy is worse than booing. Uh, Steve, we got to run, unfortunately. Right. Really appreciate you doing this, though. Thanks for jumping All in. All right, Scott. Keep up the good work, uh, That is Steve Milton from the Hamilton Spectator. You can read his piece today. It's a really, uh, it's an excellent piece about this. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.